Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me. We are home to entrepreneurs, startups, and founders, connecting with uh, VCs, angels, family offices, investment firms, and all of the above. Um, today, I uh, first want to say we do not make recommendations to buy. Do your own research. Um, we are merely uh, highlighting um, companies that we really like and uh, founders that we really like. And, and somebody who fits that dual description is Andy Gibbs. He's with us today. He's the CEO of Phytotech, I think coming to us from uh, Arizona, right? Uh, Tucson, Arizona. Your beautiful Tucson, Arizona. So um, Andy and I have spoken before and I learned about Phytotech, which is a pretty amazing concept. Essentially, um, I don't want to give it away, but essentially turning... Um, dogs and uh and ultimately i suppose pets into data collection <laughs> into data collection and and he's got a, a big data ai application and company called phytotech so we're going to get to that in a minute because it's so interesting but andy i wanted to um i wanted to first start with your background because i was very impressed that you started up six companies you've had multiple exits and and i thought it would be very helpful for our audience here on the accelerator, if you could share kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of those experiences. Of course. Um, my business startup actually started when I was 14, uh, growing uh, vegetables and, and building a little roadside stand, uh, selling tomatoes for 25 cents a basket. So that was the pre-technology days. That was your equivalent of lemonade. Uh, <laughs> actually, uh, I did have a lemonade stand. We had contractors <laughs> that were putting in a new uh, pipeline in front of the house, and it was uh, four or five days worth of work. And uh, I asked mom to help me uh, put together a lemonade stand and a little card table and selling lemonade. So the proverbial uh, entrepreneurial lemonade stand uh, in, in the, uh, very early days. Not surprised to hear that at all. So as far as technology goes, my first, uh, technology startup was a company called telecom industries. That was Silicon Valley. Uh, I met with an engineer while I was working at, uh, national semiconductor, uh, in Silicon Valley. And, he had an idea to start a home satellite television uh, company. Hmm. You remember the big dishes, the 10 foot I, diameter I dishes. I, remember, I used to write about them back in, uh, this would have been in the very early eighties or late seventies. So long, long time ago. Yeah. Uh, it was a 79 that we put that together. Uh, and we rented a, a second floor loft from, uh, his cousin in San Jose and literally built the facility, uh, put up walls, put down a floor and uh, started designing and ultimately manufacturing uh, home satellite receivers, the actual electronics that connected to the antenna. Uh, that company died. Uh, so that was after did, two years did, or so. Why did it die? Because I, you know, I remember this very well. Before, just to set the table here, at that time we certainly had cable television in a lot of America, 
but you were you you there was really satellite HBO was the first to go on a satellite and then Turner but basically there was no easy way to get access to all the programming that was being beamed on satellites um so this was a way to kind of uh um uh you know circumvent that problem and I'm curious as to why it failed at that time um a, a number of reasons uh one, which is like the, the death knell for any startup, inability to raise cash. Ah, there uh, we go. So we were, uh, we were trying to raise uh, investment at the time, and the venture capital industry was much different back then. You would be introduced to a VC, you would sit down at lunch, you would scratch out your business plan. And this was way before pitch decks. Uh, where you'd have a, a 15, 20, 25 page business plan. Uh, and we couldn't pull together the cash. Mm-hmm. So that was the primary reason and kind of a secondary reason. The And, and we have to take a look at, at um, talent and where you need to be slotted in your startup. Mm. And there are very few, and I haven't looked at statistics, but there are very few technology-based CEOs. Uh, most of the CEOs are more visionary. If we look at Apple, we have the visionary Steve Jobs, and we have the technology Steve Woz. And the somebody who is steeped in technology typically has a technology myopia versus a visionary approach to the market. Uh, a great uh, example. I just have to jump in because I'm watching um, the uh, Elizabeth Holmes story on on Hulu, uh, the Theranos story. And <laughs> there was a visionary CEO with no technology person, apparently, because nothing worked. Nothing worked. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, that's a great example of it. It's called... Um, the dropout, if anyone, I really recommend it. Really, yes. And and a visionary person who is the real evangelist for the company can raise cash, mm-hmm. uh, but you do have to have substance behind it. So mm-hmm. I think it was the uh, the desire of the uh, chief technology guy to be the CEO. Uh, with with an iron fist, and that inability to pivot to the correct slot in the company operationally uh, was the second reason. So that company failed, um, and that was my first real tech startup. Uh, so the failure taught me uh, taught me a lot uh, about really understanding co-founders, the right person in the right slot, and the need for cash. Mm -hmm. So there were, at the same time, I was also doing uh, architectural design, uh, designed 100 houses uh, in the Bay Area, a number of shopping centers, a shopping center in Los Gatos. Were you Uh, actually an architect? My... Degree is in architectural engineering. Okay. Uh, with a mechanical engineering uh, minor, essentially. Mm-hmm. 
So I was doing mechanical engineering, electromechanical engineering, and architectural engineering. So I was designing houses to electronic equipment. Uh, so that kept me afloat until the next company, uh, which manufactured, it designed uh, and patented uh, the first anti-AIDS syringe. So they were auto-retracting syringes. So I have patents on those syringes. And I figured uh, at that point, the AIDS epidemic was out of control. Uh, people were getting stuck through uh, uh, trash bags in hospitals. And I said, well, you know, there, there needs to be kind of some social good here. So I'll, I'll design uh, a syringe that auto retracts with one hand. So you can do the injection. And when you finish the injection, the syringe turns inside out, pulls the needle in, and there's nothing exposed. Mm. And I pitched that to uh, the, the three big syringe manufacturers. Uh, yes, it would take some engineering. It would take some retooling. However, it actually reduced the plastic content in a syringe. And in volume, it would have actually been cheaper to manufacture than uh, the traditional syringes. And I received three denial letters. No, we're not interested. So I scratched my head on that one, uh, put you know tens of thousands of dollars into uh, that development, and that went nowhere. Hmm. So lesson number two, make sure there is a market before you do your inventing. Mm -hmm. Now, as it turned out, a number of, uh, number of attorneys found that I had patents on this auto-retracting syringe contacted me representing people who died from needle stick injuries in hospitals. Mm. And I became a technical expert witness on a number of cases against the three companies that did not license my technology. So that's one way to, mon one way to monetize. It's not the way I wanted to monetize. Right, uh, right, of course. Because at the end of the day, the beneficiaries never received an auto retracting syringe. Mm -hmm. And still to this day, even though it has 300, 400 citations against that patent with patents since then, nothing has happened. Wow. Number four or number three, number three, yeah. Number three was uh, a company called Trumpeter uh, mm -hmm. Electronics. And I designed and manufactured high-density uh, surface-mounted connectors for PC boards, specifically for the disk drive industry. So these were very high-density uh, connectors. And at the time, connectors were expensive. They had plastic cases that would hold all these 50 pins, all of these little pins. And they were big because you had this plastic housing. So I designed and patented uh, uh, the connectors that would actually solder right onto the PC board. Hmm. And you're familiar with the uh, what I call a zip strip on a lot of uh, baggy boxes. There's a little tab that you can rip off. Yeah. And it was very similar to that. 
So I spent $35,000 for my first machine to actually manufacture these. Uh, Department of Defense was the first uh, customer and the military came on very strong. I could never get them really into the disk drive companies of the mid 80s. And very quickly, uh, by 89, the disk drives had shrunk so much that even my connectors were too big. So lesson number three, understand the technology trajectory uh, because you can be obsoleted out of a market very quickly. So that lasted three years. I broke even, but shut the business down. Number four, um, at the time I was really, well, I've always been into sports, uh, but at the time I was looking at really applying uh, new engineering, new designs to the ski rack, bike rack industry, and specifically looking at new ski rack boxes and so forth. And I teamed up with my brother and we said, let's manufacture ski and bike racks for the auto industry. Now there were aftermarket products, uh, tons of aftermarket products. You can go down to your local bike shop and buy a bike rack. At the time, and this was in the 90s, uh, there were no such things as sport utility vehicles. There were trucks, there were Jeeps, and there were cars and station wagons. Mm -hmm. But we saw this SUV market, and at the time they weren't called SUV, they were crossover. And we said, you know, let's design some OEM products that we can sell that are really functional because the ski racks and bike racks that the auto companies were selling were absolute junk, Uh, a a serious cyclist. And at the time, uh, snowboards were just evolving and Mm -hmm. none of the automotive ski racks would, would, would accommodate snowboards. So we started, we, we, we put our money together and started and figured we had enough money to last a year. So let's put together a business plan. We'll come up with some designs, brought on a salesman uh, who had connections with the auto industry in Detroit. And of course, we're still a California company. And two or three weeks after we opened shop and we're scratching our head and what to do, we received this UPS box and it's got a junky ski rack in it that goes in the back of a Jeep. And our salesman said, okay, look, uh, this company just went bankrupt. They had a Chrysler contract. Can you manufacture this ski rack? And we looked at it. It was a piece of junk. It wouldn't accept snowboards. And we said, we'll, we'll design and deliver back a prototype to you. Got together with our local muffler shop and put together a really beefy looking uh, ski rack sent it back in three weeks. He went ballistic because it looked all different from the piece of junk that he sent us. <clears throat> and we went about our business designing our, our uh, uh, business, business plan. And we had advisors, we were building our board. And then out of the blue, we get an order for 10,000 racks from Chrysler. They had 
taken, they, huh. they thought we were in production. They had taken our prototype, put it on the test field, ran it for 50,000 miles full of snowboards and skis. It passed all the tests. We became a tier one supplier in 90 days. And at that point, we were chasing money. Chrysler would pay us in 90 days. We paid our vendors in 45. So every time the phone rang, we'd have to go out and find another quarter million dollars. So getting back to the cash issue. Uh, yeah. Now, at the time, the auto industry was in a recession. Yet we were bucking the trend by starting up in a recession. Silicon Valley investors said, you can never be a viable auto company uh, unless you're in Detroit. Mm -hmm. The Detroit investors said, well, if you're in California, we don't want to invest in you. So it gets back to the cash situation. We ended up finding uh, an exit with one of the original equipment manufacturers in Detroit. We sold out in two years and went with that company, basically started a whole new uh, West Coast engineering, you know, a real pioneering design center uh, for them. Uh, that company was about 60 million when they acquired us and we took them to 300 million in about three years. And what was so that company that called? What was that called? Sagan. What was the company called? Masco. It was a division of Masco. Okay. Uh, Masco is a publicly held company owned by the Manugians. Uh, Manugians really got their start by inventing the Delta washer, uh, the Delta faucet. But in the so, marketplace, was it was it known as Masco or did it have a brand name that people might recognize? It was Masco Tech at Masco the time. Tech. Okay, so that was successful. That's number four. Wow. Yeah. So, but still, one, two, and three. We sold out too early. If we had uh -huh. the cash, we could have taken it to three hundred million and really benefited from the exit at that point. Sure. So after that company sold, I said, well, what do I want to do for the next one? I didn't know. So I started playing with uh, the Internet. And if I had been smart, I would have probably just bought a whole bunch of domain names. Hotel.com, you, you know, all, all cars.com. Just just buy these stupid Internet names and sell them for a million bucks. Well, you know, I, I did a bit as of an inventor. That was, that was harder than it sounds. That was harder than it, it sounds. But yes, I mean, you you had actually had to be very smart to make that work. Some people did, not a ton of people, but yes, uh, point taken. Yeah, some did. So, being an inventor and developing my own little website, I said, I'm just going to spend the time creating a library of resources that I would use as an inventor. So all of my patent resources, trademark resources, copyright resources, uh, design houses, prototyping houses, manufacturing resources. So I put together this huge catalog for myself. Pretty soon that became the number one invention or patent resource on the internet. Wow. And my wife said, look, you got to go get a real job or stop you know, this, this, this hobby or get it funded and make a real business out of it. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll write a business plan. 
which I did on Friday, started writing a business plan, had it put together by Sunday, uh, emailed it to an investor, a venture capitalist that was investing in what were called portals at the time, uh, very similar to house, and which is all house-related things. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is a patent-related portal. Uh, so I, I sent it out before dinner. I said, okay, that's off. Sat down for dinner, went back and looked at the email after dinner. And here's the email from the VC. It said, can you be at my San Francisco office, meet with my associate tomorrow morning? So I did, uh, drove to San Francisco, which was at the time three hours, uh, sat down for a half, half an hour meeting, drove three hours back and had a term sheet the next day and we closed in three weeks. Wow. Just in time for the dot-com crash. <laughs> I know all about that. <clears throat> so I received the cash, uh, got the investment, uh, built a staff of, I think, 18 people at the time. And we started really expanding. So this was February. April was a crash. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh-oh, um, I've got to make some adjustments. So uh, it was time to really figure out where we were going. I laid off half my staff, figured we had 18 months of cash now that we could move forward before our next round of financing, which never came. Because portals by that time were dead. Uh, Pets.com was one of them that ended up dying. That was another portal. So venture capitalists kind of move uh, with the tide. If the tide moves away from portals, all the venture capitalists move away from portals. Whether or not, it's a good business still. Mm -hmm. So that I really ground through. I. Everybody was saying, look, pull the plug. Tell the venture capitalist, come collect your assets, walk away. It's not my attitude. Uh, I'm a fighter. Uh, so, and I don't like dumping on venture capitalists or any investor. Uh, I have a responsibility to the stakeholders. So I decided to gut it through. And I pivoted the company from an invention portal and created the world's largest patent database okay. with an artificial intelligence search engine on top of it, converted my knowledge of patents to a, a software as a solution product and soon brought on IBM, Microsoft, AT&T, even the patent office became customers. And these were $100,000 a year and up customers to access my patent database versus their own patent databases. So that company, it was 10 years later, I finally exited. And mm -hmm. that technology is now incorporated into the offerings of what are a website called IP.com. Uh, so... The next lesson is obviously, if you have the cash, the market changes, pivot fast. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great one. That's number five, right? Yes. And so is number, what is number six? Are we in number six or is... is uh... we, we are in number six. Okay. Phytotech. Um, 
How would you describe Phytotech in a sentence? We collect data. We acquire dog data, convert that to dog behaviors, mm. understand dog wants and needs, and connect the dog with the products, the foods, the veterinary care that they need. And ultimately, convert that behavior, the, the artificial intelligence determined behavior, into human voice played through a smart speaker in the home. So the dog can now communicate with their pet parents. Hey, mom and dad, I like the beef flavored food that I have now much better than the chicken food last week. Or mom and dad, I'm really feeling sick today. My left hip is hurting. Can you call the doctor? So it's that level of understanding of dog behavior and extracting uh, dog data and converting that to actionable information for the veterinarian and for the pet parent. Okay, so what I should have said is one sentence, no commas, no semicolons. Uh, <laughs> that was quite a sentence, but I, I have it for you. I have the tagline. I have the tagline, free of charge. I'm ready. I have, I have pen. I'm ready. Dog's best friend. There we go. Not bad, huh? It's yeah, no, but I mean, it's amazing. What you just described is incredible. Um, so here's the question. How, and you're a patient man. I must say that, you know, you were, you were willing to take the time it takes to make pretty complicated stuff happen. So this is pretty complicated. I mean, this is kind of unprecedented in a lot of ways. So how, how far along are you and how close are you to like getting this into the market? Getting back to objective number one, mm -hmm. having the cash to move <laughs> your company forward. Yeah. Uh, we're in the middle of a fundraise right now. And I believe the fundraise is going to be successful. We have a lot of, lot of interest now coming out of the woodwork uh, from investors. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if you know that in, 20, in 2020 and 2021, venture capitalists invested in approximately 50 pet-related startups to the tune of almost $2 billion I in startup cash in the I've, pet I've, industry. Since I've met you, I've started so the, to learn things. It's a big business. These are pretty phenomenal investment numbers. And still, none of those companies or none of those investments come close to what we're doing. But back to your question, if we're successful in this, this current fundraise, we're about a year from market. And, and what is the raise? Uh, what's the valuation and what are you looking for now? And where are, is this a pre-seed? Is this an a, a Series A? What is it? I, under SEC guidelines, I can't give specifics out, um, but we're, we're doing a series A raise. Okay. Okay. But, but valuations and dollar figures, uh, unless it's, um, uh, an accredited investor, then I can disclose that directly to an accredited investor. 
And what does your team look like right now? Oh, we've got a great team. And actually, it, it will be expanding here very, very quickly, like next week. Uh, mm-hmm. My CFO is uh, a 30-plus-year veteran in the startup industry, a number of startups and exits, and mentored uh, a great number of companies in, in the startup mode. And he really understands managing the cash. So first is to get the cash. Second is to manage it. And managing it well means robbing from Peter to pay Paul if you have to you know, move one part of the company operations accelerated uh, and slow down something else, but really doing intelligent cash management. Hmm. Uh, my chief data scientist, uh, PhD, has been in... Uh, business intelligence, artificial intelligence for, again, almost 30 years. Half of that time was in the university environment. Half of the time was in the commercial environment uh, doing customer analysis for national brands with you know millions of customers. So uh, he is not intimidated by the big data uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll have pretty big data. Uh, my technology staff includes... Internet of Things, uh, design experts, dog collar experts, uh, back-end experts, cybersecurity you have, you, have, you have dog collar experts? Yes. <laughs> That's Actually, dog collar experts. <laughs> okay. That's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, my, my technical team, I've got eight uh, full or part-time. I expect that to expand to 10 or more. Uh, by the end of next week with very senior level uh, chief technology, chief information officers uh, to finalize building out our front end and back end. As you said, it's a very complicated uh, technology infrastructure. Let's try to simplify it just so there can be some understanding of the basic idea here. So, you know, Fido comes home, Fido comes home and how would your how would the Fidotech system come into play with an individual dog? Okay, good question. And I can really s- summarize this very simply. Your dog is running around the house. He has a collar on, or she. Uh, that collar is, or, or they, or they, or, or they. <laughs> Just Go ahead. The uh, the collar has. Uh, a sensor in it, very similar to drone sensors that have multiple axis understanding of where the dog is, how the dog is moving, is he jumping, walking, eating, drinking. So all of that information is derived from the from the collar data. Then we have a food bowl and a water bowl. That measures the amount of water that they consume, the amount of food that they consume, the amount of food that you even need to put into the bowl because it does calorie counting based on the food. So now your the mystery is gone in how much to feed your dog. What about you treats? Know, they would sort of fall outside of the bowl category. They would fall outside of the bowl. However, the app is a persistent uh, communication app with the pet owner. If you it, it, And it will pop up uh, a question. Have you given any treats? We know what treats you're giving. We know how many calories are in those treats. So the and treats are the big violator. The data can be added by the owner. 
through yes. That. Okay. Then all of that information, we're managing the dog. We know what food the dog likes based on consumption rates, which is the classic uh, food company test when they're testing a new food taste, a new food brand. Do they like the old food better or new food better? And that's based on how quickly they gobble it up. So we can derive so much behavioral information from the big data without the pet owner having to think about it. And we just deliver the information back to them. Your dog likes beef. We know your dog likes beef. We're not a beef pet food manufacturer trying to convince you that the dog likes beef. The data says your dog likes beef better than lamb. So being a pet parent, you want to buy the best food that your dog likes. I mean, they're your kid. Uh, we understand the local environmental temperature. If you're in Las Vegas in the middle of summer and you're getting ready to take your dog for a walk, we send an alert that says, put the booties on your dog today. The tarmac is going to be 200 degrees. Wow. So we become like a surrogate parent helping you, uh, helping you have your dog live happier, healthier, and longer. And how does, so all how of this is done in the background. And it all can connect to Alexa. That's where the voice comes in, for example. But how do you make your money in this business? As speaking of cash, how do you make your cash? So you have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Amazon affiliates. Mm -hmm. And they market their Amazon products or they market links to Amazon products and they get paid a commission. So our revenue is generated by a commission on the products we recommend and tying into a data based on the data, based on the data. Right. So it's not so, just like recommending this because you're getting an affiliate fee or something. You're recommending it based on what the dog is quote unquote telling you. Exactly. And we will tie into an API, which is basically a, a, a pipe to a retailer's 50,000 pet products. And part of our data analysis in the back end is matching the data on all of those 50,000 products to different types of dogs. For instance, uh, a puppy food has a higher protein content than an adult food. So we know when a puppy transitions from puppy to adult, we will automatically change puppy food recommendations to adult food recommendations. And parents don't know when their puppy makes a transition. A Great Dane will do it in six months. A, a, a Dachshund may take 18 months to make that transition. So based on the breed, based on the dog's activities, uh, based on the environmental conditions, all of those dynamics drive our food recommendations our treat recommendations, our garments, our, our, you know, all the services. So everything is 100% curated for each individual dog. And I want to just point out a couple numbers you shared with me. 77 million dogs in the country, um, uh, 250 million adults with dogs, um, over 70 million kids with dogs or responsibility for dogs. Uh, you see the dog as the customer, and you said there's a $300 million ad spend 
uh, for dog and dog related products. And that probably doesn't even include like uh, uh, veterinarians and uh, medicine and, you know, prescribed medicine and such. But no, that's primarily the pet food manufacturers of $300 million in ad spend. So tell me your timetable, um, because we're we're um, we've we've gone a little over time here, but it's um, we could talk all day because we love dogs. I got to ask you, what kind of dog do you have? Uh, Heinz fifty seven. Uh, <laughs> Rowan is a rescue dog, yeah, and he was actually the genesis for Phytotech. Uh, my wife hollered in one day and said, "Roland is out of water. Can't you make me a smart water bowl?" And I said, "Yeah, I." And and that was it. I mean, six weeks later, I had the first seven patents filed on a full smart dog home that included smart water bowl, food bowl, collar, the back end. So it's it's thinking really out of the box. Uh, and, and he was the genesis. That's fantastic. I uh, we recently. Um adopted a rescue dog that we call Miss Dalai Lama, like Miss Dolly Parton, but Miss Dalai Lama. But it's been, it's been really, really fun though. She's, she's, nobody had touched her for the first two years of her life. So, so we've got some ground to cover, but, but it's really been a joy, um, a joy to have this little dog with our other bigger dog, who's a little more normal. Um, but let me just finally say, so when can, uh, when can people start to sign up for Phytotech? What's your prediction? What's your timetable? And we assume it's going to be subscription, right? Subscription basis? Yes, it is. Uh, very similar to Amazon Prime. Uh, you sign up for Amazon Prime, you get all these perks. When you sign up for Phytotech, you're going to get all this technology delivered to you. Uh, you're going to get all the products, recommendations. You're going to get the health monitoring uh, all of that comes with, you know, one annual fee. That's it. Uh, we we are hoping to have early signups maybe in eight months from now. So we still have a, a heavy lift on the back end to do with full product availability at about month 12. From today? Yeah. yeah. And today is uh, the last day of March 2022, if anyone is, if anyone is counting. But, you know, it's interesting. Um, you're, it's so interesting to have an inventor on the show. I had a grand, great-grandfather who was an incredible inventor, and I'm, I'm always so envious and so um, a little bit awed by that. But, um, but to, to also put it to work um, for dogs, I think, is a pretty great thing because, um, you know, if you're a dog person, if you love, if you love dogs, there's a relationship there, as you alluded to earlier that is really incomparable. And um, uh, I think too, but what you've done, what I think is so interesting is you're saying, oh, actually, yeah, there's a lot of data collection <laughs> possibilities here. And we're actually, and, and, and ultimately giving voice to the dog. When you can do that, you'll be on every television show and every website in America and every social media platform. No, we're going to let the dogs go on the television shows. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. I mean, when they start talking, it's like this thing is, is going to go through the roof. So uh, at least we hope. So listen, Andy, thank you so much. You've been very generous with your time. Absolutely, and, Michael. It's been fun. And, um, you know, we want to wish you the best. Um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Andy at Fidotech, F-I-D-O-T-E-K. Dot com. And, just, like, uh, just like on the... On the mic. 
Yeah, I know. That's great. You got me beat there. But listen, I want to thank you for being on, uh, being on the Accelerator with Michael Conniff. It's, um, it's great to have you and uh, you've been a, a stellar guest and um, we look forward to staying in touch with you as you move forward and, and uh, you know, really hope that, um, that the story continues to be long and good. I will keep you posted. And right, thanks thank for having you. me. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. Been fun.